Get parched, scrub grass. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not something we talk a lot about, but like your mouth needs to be the right level of wetness to have a good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 352 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I have dry eyes. I'm Sam, and I, uh, my eyes are also dry. Oh, uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, working in the games industry, and how dry our eyes are. <laughs> Buckle really up. Really dry. Like, exciting just, material. We've got just a 20-minute segment set aside just for talking about how dry our eyes are. Uh, as a quick teaser, they're dry. Yeah. You know, it's like when you look through a phone camera and it's got like all the stuff on I feel like I'm looking through a husk that's just yeah. sort of- Yeah, just Windex, Windex that thing. Pew, pew. They'll get real wet. Yeah, you're looking through fast. clear raisins, you know what I mean? Like, that's what your corneas have turned into. You know, it's actually yeah. true if you think about how weird it is that your eyeball is just a weird gel packet that yeah. you somehow see through. And it's it's clear? It's like crystal. It's very clear. It's very clear. clear. If it gets too dry, it turns into a wrinkly gel packet, and it's kind of hard and uncomfortable to see. Yeah, that's gross. Oh, thanks. It like is. a grape. Uh, today is February 24th, 2020. You, before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity on this show. Uh, so, you know, buckle up for that. And we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. That's the that's the URL where if you go there, we're going to grab your money. Mm-hmm. Most of it, actually. Yeah, all of um, So, you know, go there with caution. Uh, maybe... Maybe set aside some cash in sort of a hoard before yep. you go to that site because whatever we can see, we're grabbing it's it. We're taking yep. it. Okay. Uh, now we do. So we want to hit questions today. We just want to go through a lot of questions. Uh, there is one sort of news element, news item of the day that we have to just acknowledge is happening, which is today Russia declared war on Ukraine mm-hmm. and they are invading. Um, it sounds quite dumb. And very bad for everybody involved, but we're not going to go into it because we are, this isn't our area. subject matter experts. What we can say with confidence, though, is that war is bad. And dumb. Uh, So I hope, you know, if you're anywhere near there, stay safe, do whatever you can, get the hell out of there. Um, And I'm sure, you know, we'll be hearing a lot about this Mm -hmm. in the coming Hopefully time. not too much time. Yeah, yeah we were uh, talking a little bit about season three of the pandemic. Yep. And I guess yeah. it's sort of, there's a big plot twist, you know, and we're sort of going into a different kind of a show. It's like that river, Yeah, they that ran Riverdale? out of ideas, so they just kind of started a new thing entirely. Yeah, so. and you know, uh, it feels like since 2016, we've just all been kind of on a very stressful, traumatic ride together, mm-hmm. you know? I was hoping for a little bit of a... Some kind of reprieve. Down, maybe you get like a month, maybe two months. Nah, you know? Nah, man. Nah, man, nah. This is the 2020s. Did you forget? Yeah, so, no breathers. No breaks. Yeah, so take care of yourself, uh, you know, even if you're, of course, you're not directly involved with all this stuff. It's just, this is a lot. And I'm sure yes. we'll have more to say about it later, but that's all for now. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's get on to questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. If you'd like to get your question onto a future episode, go there, ask a question, vote for questions, upvote them. I don't think we have downvotes. We do not. 
It's only positive. It's just a positive experience there. We were way ahead of YouTube way on the movie to dislike button. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even start with one. I would think YouTube yeah. still has the dislike button, right? They just don't. They they, yeah, you just can't see. You can't. The users can't see. Yeah. Uh, I think it's trying to disincentivize, you know, dogpiling. Um, I think. Dating, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if it actually. Yeah, if somebody comes in and they see that something has uh, a big dislike bar, then they. You know, people love outrage, right? Mm-hmm. They love hating on stuff and piling on. So, uh, yeah, you know, this is. But there is some th- horrible stuff. You know, it's the, it's that problem of, of the fact you can weaponize anything, right? Because you there, you have yeah. the people making My horrible th- stuff, then send their army after things that criticize people them. making horrible stuff though don't necessarily get a lot of dislikes. You know, as long That's as their the, yeah. stuff gets targeted to the to the audience that is well, in agreement. They, do, they just don't care because the engagement is so high. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think yeah. dislikes don't do anything for the platform in terms of actual moderation. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. That's yeah. what the report button is for. Yeah. No, that, does, so, that doesn't either because- And that also doesn't do anything because- Yeah. yeah the, only way, the only way to know is with uh, longer terms. There's one of the things we dealt with with Levelhead, which is, you know, Mm-hmm. relevant to the topic was the question of how do we know if somebody has say like written something with coins that's uh, like a slur or something right how do we find that out right or ha- or what if somebody does some weird thing where they essentially like used a hack to make a horrible level that is now unbeatable how do we know right and we just built in the simplest moderation system that we could kind of come up with which is basically you just hit a report button and then if it if the number gets high at some point, mm-hmm. then we have a threshold, and then we look at it with human eyeballs, yep. right? And uh, almost everything that comes through is a false positive. Yeah. Actually, I think I think we've we've had because we've had thousands of levels reported. Yeah, and I think one of them I think was, there was like just o- obvious, obviously, like yeah, clearly mm-hmm. this is just this is beyond. And there were a few, you know, you know questionable ones. That or, but they were yeah they were mostly just kind of dumb but not yeah, it's like, 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 thing it's, is like, like it's it's you have to work really hard in a game like Levelhead to compose something that's <laughs> that's actually like that, that that's offensive right because it's just kind of hard to do and also because of the camera mm-hmm. view scope and stuff like that like you can't fit you can't write like a whole paragraph you know yeah uh, and and so I don't know it's yeah, it's, so been, it's it's one of those challenges of, of then trying to figure out how do you then how do you find the bad stuff, right? Because like it just every once in a while something will appear. And you because of the fact that that you can weaponize a moderation tool, then trying to figure out how do you actually how do you use it, you know? Like because you and you just oh, you man, see this it constantly was, on every platform. It's a yeah, really hard problem. Like these these things were just like every, one of the things that was really hard about making Levelhead was how every, every single decision we make about or we made about, you know, designing every piece of that game. We had to always ask the question, will players be able to weaponize this feature? Yeah, against each other. Just like every single thing. Oh man, it's so it's so exhausting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even 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 things like how big is the viewport of the screen and how many how many blocks can you see in screen at a time and we were talking about giving players the ability to control the camera. We had, we, you know, we did have to have the conversation of: Will this allow players to zoom out enough to be able to create more offensive imagery to then yep. convey things to other other players? And you know, at a certain point, we say like, well, so far, you know, our players have been really good, so mm-hmm. we aren't as you know, we aren't as concerned about it. But man, it's just exhausting. Yeah. I can't imagine having like a content creation platform like you know 
actually running a thing like YouTube. Well, or something and especially where, one where like the like at the very because because for us for Levelhead, every every part of the design was like this is yeah, it's a hard game, but it's for being friendly in right. It's yes. right. community focused. It's 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 like everything is focused around like. Thumbs up, you know, like everybody be a good vibes sort of a situation. Good vibes, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but if you, but all these social media platforms, uh, absolutely do not start off that way. And then also still have never done anything meaningful, you know, to, to push the overall framing of what interactions are supposed to be there towards a positive direction. So, and, and this is also even worse in like the multiplayer games context or any, any PVP games. Um, we're to the point where the default assumption is that all interactions are hostile and bad. I guess what, so, so I, can you imagine trying to like strap an actually good moderation system on top of you can. any of those? I guess the reality is like if, you're, if your moderation is basically fighting your core design of the product, which is largely, I think, what you see on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, is that the, the core design of it wasn't bent effectively enough to push against toxic behavior from the get-go. And so as a result, yeah. you have a moderation system that is always going to be behind <laughs> Well, the, the design is for stuff. engagement, right? So, it, you know, yeah. we, we've talked in the past about about how whatever you measure is, you know, what you optimize for, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so in the case, of, and I, I think it's kind of interesting how it's like our, our level head moderation stuff. We did design every piece of the game, trying to think like, how do we turn the, how do we use this feature to guide players toward treating each other positively, mm-hmm. right, and responding yep. to each other positively. Um, and it did turn out to be the case, like I said, that even though thousands of things got reported, it's almost never has been the case that something actually bad, mm-hmm. uh, came through. Right. And so, but it, uh, on a platform like YouTube, you know, or Facebook or yeah. whatever, they're not, they're not, they're not trying to decide what the experience is supposed to be. Their only metric is, uh, what keeps people on the platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, right? keeps, it keeps us out of governmental crosshairs, yeah. right? It's the same thing with the, the news, news, right? Like yeah. you, you need to sell ads. And so yeah. you need people to just be there and whatever keeps people there, you're going to, that's what you're going to optimize for. Um, and so what is it people call doom scrolling, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like stuff that makes you the most like afraid and angry is stuff that feel like your, your stress response is like, I got to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, this is real bad. I got to really look into this thing and keep like scrolling through. Oh, well, then you're uh, going to respond to, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then you engage. Right. Yeah. So but anyways, I mean, it is, it is interesting. Cause like, cause it is one of those things that when we, have thought through like like with Levelhead, we did so much of the design work around the game itself to make it so that you just couldn't be toxic to other people inside of it, right? Yeah. And that was actually our primary moderation strategy was the design of the product itself. Mm-hmm. And that is a thing that, that I think is fundamentally missing most of the time in most of the software world is it's basically, ooh, let people talk to each other. Now let's strap some sort of a Catch it. moderation system on top, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and since it's not fundamentally built into how you interact with it, then you're just in this constant battle. And now, now the only approach that you can take is that from the very, very, very beginning, you just have to keep toxic shit out because the design of the thing itself doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't start at the very beginning, cleaning it up later is yeah, adding more challenge. restrictive things later is is rough. I think I mentioned yeah. I played Valorant, and uh, it's one of the few shooters I've played where, for the most part, people were very kind and. The voice chat, and, I, and there's a, I think there's a big reason, which is that every round you have to buy a weapon, you have to buy your own weapons again, right? You don't just like find weapons, right? And you're able to buy weapons based on essentially how well you did in the previous round. 
and plus how much money you kind of stored up, right? And the trick is they have a, you can request weapons and people can buy weapons for you. Oh. And that nice. simple fact uh. <laughs> means that if you're a dick, now- no, it's Nobody's going to buy you a weapon. weapon. There's, there's Even though you're on their team, yeah. but- yeah. There's, a, there's a, yeah, like, yeah, exactly to your point. Like incentives are the whole In thing, that, right? Yeah. They have to be aligned properly. And and, it, and the, like, this is a great point because like it can be something very simple, actually. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be in the chat client. It doesn't have to be like a yeah. restriction there. It's just something else to make it so that people's, it could be anything. people are rewarded for good behavior and are naturally just sort of immediately punished for being uh, bad or even can't even do yeah. it. Right? Yeah. I like yeah, that. I like that. That's a good one. I like tough. that one. It's, it's a good move. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, highest upload a question from Let's our go. listeners comes from Execro Dapif, who says, I found coffee with butterscotch recently, and I've been listening to one or two episodes every workday for the last six months or so during my Jeez. commute. It's a lot of episodes, isn't it? Still not even halfway there, it. though, right? I'm currently at episode 111. <laughs> Dang. Jeez, that's uh, still 240 episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to keep listening through until I get up to real time. I'm currently four years in your past. <laughs> when I get to the episode uh, where you answer wild. this question, it will be several years in all of our future. <laughs> <laughs> what message do you want? I love this idea of do you asking want to give a question to that you intentionally would not won't like, hear the answer won't even to. try to hear the answer to for four so years. So his question then is, what message do you want to give to your future self? If you tell me, I'll leave a note here when I get to it to remind you. <laughs> I, I, I like the premise of and design of this. It feels uh, like question. it's interstellar shit. I just watched interstellar. Yeah, it's very- interactive. It's got time mm-hmm. travel. No. Yeah, but here's the problem though. Like time travel stuff is always about your future self, you know, coming back to warn you about something, right? Yeah. Your this past, is about our self, past self being wrong about something. Ooh, here's, yeah. here's and this a good is one. the thing. Like, yeah, I, go think, ahead. I think you t- if you take the idea, then just turn that around and say, okay, what what is something that your current self can warn your past self or your your future self about because you haven't actually done anything about it yet, even though you know you need to. Oh, it's so like what's something that you haven't been taking care of that yeah. you probably. Yeah. So I'm going to say. That there, what's, your, what's your gray rhino? What's something that's coming for you and you have been ignoring? Yeah, but this, this isn't mind. so much a warning as it is like, uh, you know, uh, sort of once your past self tells you that in the future when you haven't done that thing that you're right now going to tell your future self you should have done. It's sort yeah. of like a salt rubbing in a wound kind of a scenario. Yeah. More so than <laughs> yeah. A, it is. Well, it's, it's, it's like, a reminder. It's like, hey, if you still haven't done this, and like, because it'll take, it'll take them another, what, like year basically to catch up, roughly. So, yeah. yeah. What do you need to take care of? Within the next year, that if if we arrive at this juncture, it'd be nice to have a reminder or even a moment to celebrate the fact that you did take care of it. After this, I know mine just immediately off the top of my head. What is it? Mine is my is to go get some serious PT for my low back thing. Mm -hmm. Oh well, yeah, I was fucking around. Yeah, the problem I have is like anything that I can say to my future self, I will know by then, right? Like if you don't take care of your back now. Your future self would be like, yeah, I know I need PT for my lower back. It hurts every day. Here's what I'm saying, right? Here's one. What if, <laughs> let's flip it a different way entirely. Flip okay, it. flip it. Hit me okay. a new axis. Let's, so as, as, we, as we move through time and we change how we do things, right? It's, it's always in response to something that sucks. So we move on. We change our practices, change our processes, change our systems. We learn new stuff. We do cooler things. We can work faster and smarter and just have a better time, right? And it's really easy to forget what some aspect of that was like before mm. all those great things happened, right? 
so having like taking a snapshot of something that like really sucks right now that we're working on, right? So we're like in the process of making that thing not suck and trying to capture mm. what it's like right now while it does still suck. So that when we look back yeah. and we say, oh, hey, like this thing that we're doing now is not a big deal. You kind of forgot about it. And like maybe even thinking back, like, oh, maybe we should have spent all that time doing this thing, mm. whatever. What was it like though? You know? So I would say to my future self, hey, remember what it was like to make games without the, the game changer? Yeah, describe it. Describe the, the experience. Thing is, the thing is, I don't know what it's like to make games with the game changer yeah, exactly. yet. We yeah, but my future self will. And do you remember it, how it's easy to forget? Yeah, your future self won't remember what it was like without it. After a play session, how I would type up like 60 50 small changes. Favro cards. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then say, Seth, can you get to these? And you'd look at them and you'd be like, no. no. <laughs> and I'd be like, can I get to them? And you'd be like, no, also, and then we would just go shit. It's it's that? like that line from Watchmen when Rorschach is like, they all they all shout save us, and I just whisper no. <laughs> <laughs> Please implement our content. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. That's so good. I think the thing that you really want to be able to say to your future self is, "You're welcome." Exactly. Because uh, for me right now, like what I'm I'm just mm. currently as as I've also been talking about with uh, the team. I'm just completely buckling under the weight of having lots of code projects, right? Because in my role, I have one really big project, which is all the Rumpus technology stack, you know, the website and the APIs and the stuff that makes level head work and cross saves and all that. Uh, but that's largely, you know, built and kind of in a maintenance phase, but it's a huge project and it's a huge project full of legacy code, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, legacy and, you know, the sense of like, I've learned so much more that I can tell how bad it is and how fragile it all is now. Right. So I've got that. And then I have like, like half a dozen tools that I've made that do different kinds of things. Uh, and like some libraries of shared code and all these things. There's just like these separate collections of code everywhere and managing it is just, just this like nightmare scenario where almost every action I'm taking is like a series of oh yeah, I have to do this, 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 and this. And oh shit, yeah. I forgot this part. And oh, this is out of date. And it doesn't work the way that I think it does because over here I'm using the up-to-date version and, I, and like that's what I'm now, right? So there's this like so, just nightmare scenario so that I'm currently to? trying to solve. Yeah. So just knowing what that feels like of like, or so the goal of to, if, you know, forming my future self, like what that feels like right now is that I'm completely paralyzed because every time I try to do something, it's Your so past hard self. to do. Has laid traps. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to do that I end up having to spend my time under enormous cognitive load just trying to get reoriented to the thing that I'm trying to do instead of actually, you know, doing the just thing. Just do the thing. Yeah. So, and I'm actively in the process now of like overhauling just the overall approach to managing code. Well, so this is something that I find, that. this is something that I found is, is endemic among pro programming. Is just that programmers will create solutions to problems that only programmers can use, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the same thing goes. So, like if you're if you're if you're a programmer and you're saying, "Oh yeah, I want to be able to do this thing in my project or whatever," and somebody else will say, "Yeah, I've solved that problem." Uh, here's a Git repo. Here's the 19 dependencies. Here's the three different languages you have to learn to use it, and then here's the 39 step plan to get it set up and then here's the environment configuration you yeah, need. So every to make solution it work. to every problem is itself just a huge just a huge problem. problem yeah. Right. And and it's almost never the case 
that a programmer says, hey, I've, uh, I've solved this problem for you. Here is a neatly contained package that will take care of it without you needing to learn 39 new things, mm-hmm. right? It'll, it'll do what you need to do. It's very easy. It'll ask you all the questions that you need to, you need to answer already, and it'll, t- it'll give you the stuff that you need, right? And so the problem is like programmers solve problems in that way for other programmers, and they also solve problems in that way for themselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so in the moment, well, you currently- is that, is that it's – I got a program. You consider it just – because it's, it's really costly to do good UI, UX work, mm-hmm. like really yeah. costly, right? Uh, and even if the UI is a text interface that you're just answering prompts in, the the development cost of doing that, nobody wants to pay for. Yeah, yeah. well, also because you you currently know every, the code that you are yeah. currently writing. Yeah. So you out. don't technically so need it. You know the commands. You know you don't need documentation. You don't need any any mm-hmm. descriptions of how things work because it's it's for you, right? And then you use it for a while. You get you become an expert in your own project, and then at some point you move on, right? Yep. <laughs> and then you come back. Uh, and it's like no a, idea what's going on. It's like an ancient temple that's just booby trapped. You know what I mean? Beautiful yeah. well, architecture, is, but deadly. Yeah, and this is probably why you know people talk about pair programming as being such a powerful tool, right? And it's mm-hmm. that it's that each person in the pair has to fully understand the thing that they are building, right? And so if one of them is like, I don't like you're writing this thing. What is this? I don't understand what what you're doing here, right? And they will redo that part until they both fully understand it or they will clean it up and add yep. commentary or even just to it, yeah right? or even it's just like some, something as simple as oh like if we rename this it'll be a lot easier to understand what's happening because it's just yeah. the name is easier to grok you know yeah exactly yeah and so of course like when you're when you're making stuff by yourself for yourself for the present uh, all, all structurally all you can really do is just lay booby traps for your yeah. and, and when part of that <laughs> is not investing in the user experience of your downstream self using that thing. Once you've yeah. forgotten all the stuff, you know, in particular, but also even just like, right, like, yeah, sure. It's like CLI tools, command line tools, like when you're typing in a console, right? Uh, like those are, when you know them, they're easy to use. You just type some stuff, right? But you have to memorize <laughs> those things. <laughs> yes. And not only that, but you have to type it correctly, Right. And so it really is doing a spell where it's like you memorize the spell book and you have to put the right things in the right order. But if you're trying to do, like, maybe maybe you have some little tool that does a bunch of cool stuff, right? Well, let's say you need to do that thing on 10 other things. Okay, well, that's 10 times now you have to rewrite by hand whatever that command is with a slight variation. And get mm-hmm. right shot, right? And at some point, that's just at not- At some point, no. Yeah, that's not yeah. good. No, that's not no. Good. <laughs> this is why yeah, I, I love uh, Git has a new desktop client. Well, not that new, I think. It's been out or for- GitHub, yeah. Or GitHub, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's great. It's so Simple, good. Simple, easy to use. You don't have to think. You don't. You don't. You basically just don't have to know what a git yeah. command even is. And but it's, but it's even just fun. like there's a little pop down menu. It's like, oh, what are the branches? You just pop it down. It's like here's the branches, and you just click on the one you want to go to. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, trying to do that on on uh, in the because I still use this the the CLI most of the time, mm-hmm. and every time I want to see the list of what all of my possible branches of code are, right? I can't, I'm always like, oh shit, I have to Google this because I can't. Yeah. Because <laughs> like I can show the local ones, but I need to show the ones that are. On the on the server, and off in the cloud somewhere, you know. And I see what's out there, and like, and getting that info is just one of those things where it's like, this shouldn't be. Everybody needs to do this all the time. Well, again, like, Git yeah. was made for programmers, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so they're like, yeah, programmers, yeah, they have no problem just memorizing fifty different commands and how and 
how they all work and what they mm-hmm. give back to you. And so this idea that like it's just totally fine to just deliver that experience to people. Well, the, um, the, the penultimate version of this that I've seen, which is also just wild, is Amazon Web Services for anybody who doesn't know. AWS. It is a it's shit like show. The major cloud provider for like if you want to if you want to do something and have somebody else deal with hosting it and all that, that, that that's what they do. Uh, whenever the whole internet goes down for like an hour, that's because everything is on AWS and AWS went down. Um, so they have like a thousand services. They have so much stuff you can do with that, right? And they have a fully comprehensive text-based command set of tools, right, to interact with it. So it's comprehensive for like a thousand services. Right? So <laughs> If you want to do something, you start typing. You're like, you're like AWS space, and here's that kind. Of, now what comes next? It's like, oh shit, I have to remember the name of the service and type it correctly. There's like 50 services. All, Don't mistype it. Yeah, also, well, the names and it's of the also, services are completely opaque. They're wild. Elastic Beanstalk. Why? Yeah, Elastic the Beanstalk fuck? is one of them. What? Yep. And then like, but then you're asking like, okay, it's Elastic Beanstalk. Is it? Is it the whole word, or is it just EB? Is it Elastic EB. Dash Beanstalk? There's no fucking is way it, for you to know. Is, is Beanstalk sensitive? Is it case sensitive? Yeah. Like you just don't know what it's gonna be, and so then you're like. Okay, let me go read the docs to just to use this, right? Just and that's actually the right thing. That's intended to be the standard way that programmers and experts at AWS interact with that whole ecosystem, right? Painfully. Wild. It is so dumb. Yeah. It's a horrible, horrible experience. But yeah, I mean, I've I've made the joke in the past about how like programmers are just lawyers by another name, right? Like every programmer solves problems in a way that requires other programmers to be on the receiving end of the solution, <laughs> right? True. Yeah, like AWS isn't for people to develop web tech. It is for programmers, specifically mm-hmm. backend web developers, mm-hmm. to make web tech. Uh, if you know some HTML and you're like, I want to get into AWS. No, you no, no you can't. You. Nope. you can't do it, right? No, it's the. Like it's, I, I've spent so many of my hours trying to like work through their completely uh, opaque systems and figure out like what what is what, trying like trying to just figure out what the services are. It's like what's what's Fargate? What is that? What does that do? What right? does it is that do? something? Does that solve a problem I have? You know, like there's <laughs> there's just no way to know. And you're just like reading documentation lists, and it's endless. I still remember it was. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Adam. You you were like, "Oh yeah, I need to like adjust this option on one of our server configurations." So how do you do that? Well, you you download you download this <laughs> oh, JSON yeah. document that has like fifteen thousand entries in it. Yeah, it's and so then long. you just scroll through it in a text file and like just type in them. the new thing that you want. Just gotta hope, find it. Find it. Type it in. Hope that you typed in the right thing in the right place, and then re-upload your thousands of lines of JSON document yeah, back into the server. And then at yeah. that point, I'm sure the server is like, yeah, you broke this. <laughs> sure. We could uh, validate we'll, it. We could validate, but we don't. You know, we could we validate this online. You know, in real we just try it. And then, if, and then if the end result is yeah. catastrophic failure, you know, then uh, I guess that's yeah. a problem. Because sure. yeah. I, I think the, the, the lesson that thing is, by hand better. Yeah, the lesson is we should, you know, when I guess to get back to the question, when, when this question comes back, we should feel like we have left some gifts for our future selves, not only trash. We should have invested in our own user experience as mm. developers of things. And it. it should feel actually good yep. to use these tools and feel like the cognitive load to do so is low. Kind of is just minimal. We get to know about yeah. the problem we're actually trying to solve, not all the stuff surrounding the problem. Yeah. And the the way that you get there, I think, is whenever you're trying to solve a problem. You have to be sort of um, 
observant about what kinds of other problems you are running into while you're doing it, right? Yeah. So if you're trying to do something and then it turns out that you come across something that you're like, we're confused and you're like, oh, how does this work? I don't know how this works, right? So you go figure out how that works and now you can solve the, the thing you were trying to do. You need to view the fact that you got confused as an unsolved problem mm-hmm. and think, how can I make it so that then if this comes up again, I am less confused the next time. You know, I thought there was one problem here, but there were actually two and I need to solve them both. Yeah. Um, or if one of the solutions that you would want to reach for is just like so inconvenient to do or hard or whatever that you just don't reach for it and do something else that's do worse. Something, do a is, workaround. Which is basically the summary of the situation that I'm currently in and trying to get from under is that is that there's a core kind of problem that there's a good solution for to like really solve that. But the ability to use it and the additional problems that it creates for me by having used it are so many that then I don't. And then mm-hmm. I just like stay trapped in this shittier situation that just takes scrambling to get out of. So anyway, for future it's, self, just know that this stuff sucks right now. So if it's good in the welcome. future, then yeah, <laughs> it was absolutely worth it. Try to be able to say you're welcome to your future self. I think that's a good, that's a good yeah. lesson. Uh, next question comes from Hasimo, who says, what is your favorite mobile or desktop app tool that you open up without thinking and somehow enriches your life? Doom scrolling is a valid, albeit wrong answer. <laughs> uh, follow-up question. Why are collisions with tile maps so unintuitive in Game Maker? I don't know. I don't use them because they're so unintuitive. So let's talk about the <laughs> let's talk about the mobile and desktop app tool. Uh, yeah. So uh, I guess this is just like something just anything really then, right? Like just something that you Yeah, I so I I the habit I wanted to get a hold of was when away from the machine, away from the computer, pulling out my phone in some of those downtime moments between stuff, uh, and just getting away from doing the usual essentially doom scrolling stuff, right? Uh, which I know is a habit I think a lot of people picked up, especially because of all the pandemic stuff and you know. Now with this other war thing happening, probably gonna pick right back up, even if you got off of it for a for a bit there. It's hard to put down. So I got um Process recommendation actually during the podcast, uh, maybe like a month and a half ago or two, I got that bearable app because I because there's this idea in in habit changing, which is that it's it's very challenging to essentially just like stop doing a habit. Like that's sort of like the yeah. wrong way to approach it. Really, what you do is you figure out whatever the cue is associated with the habit, and then you either swap out what you're doing. So you still do something, you just do something else instead. Um, and especially if it's something that's sort of somewhat related. So for me, it was like, I'm, I always am going to get out my phone at these like random moments. Right. And the question was, how can I turn that into something that doesn't turn into, that basically has an end. That was the goal. It's not like a thing I can just constantly scroll on, like the news, Reddit, whatever. Uh, and then that maybe, maybe even beyond just like having a built in time limit of itself, how can I make it so it's a thing that might actually pay some dividends for me later? So I got bearable because it's a, it's just a mood. It's like a tracking app where you can then just toggle stuff that's happened to you during the day. Right. Yep. And over time for it's me, just, just, you're just checking in with yourself. You just check it in. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes all that happens is I'll go and say, you know, it's the whole like sitting on the toilet joke about taking 20 minutes instead of just the two you need, you mm-hmm. know? And so if I'll, if say that's the case from before, if I got on Reddit or whatever else, it's one of those things where like sometimes you're, now your legs are numb, buddy. Now you can't even walk back to your <laughs> desk, you know, because of this. And now it's like, okay, you, you know, just take a moment and look at that. And because it has a, a finite list of things to go through, you track them, check it out. And then there's that cue because you're done now. 
you finished because you can finish. You tracked everything. Yeah. And then you kind of move on. Yeah. And then every so often I look at it and uh, it's it's just sort of like a fun, fascinating little tool to see how I've been doing. You know what I mean? Watch your, watch your graphs moving yeah. around. Uh, well, I so slept like shit for the last three days. So like I, <laughs> I, 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 I feel it. But now I can also see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it does graph. something really nice. Uh, I think it's improved my mood actually overall just by having to answer the question of how's your mood a couple times yeah. per day. It did have that effect on me as well. Definitely has a Hawthorne effect yeah. where you're like, well, I kind of want to put an eight here instead of a seven. So I guess I'm feeling better. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, yeah. And you're like, you know, I don't have that much to complain about. Like, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm it's actually pretty good, good actually. Perspective focuser. So that's, that's a big one that I'd recommend. Um, for that yeah, I've also I've also had the opposite scenario where like like sometimes just a collection of of things would go wrong at random, right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of like an already stressful or sort of like low mood day, right? And I'd be like, you know what? I'm feeling a two right now. Like I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna really drive home. Like I hate this. I hate that how I'm feeling right now, and I hate all like just this whole thing. So I'm gonna make sure that this is. Clearly, an Stands outlier. Out the right. So, like right. when I when I look at this point in the graph, I'm like, well, all that stuff that happened that day, I hated it, and uh-huh. I know, and like maybe, like maybe I was actually, you know, just like more toward the middle in terms of mood, but but I just wanted to make sure that it never happened again. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's good though. That's a good app. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I got off of that recently, but I'm gonna be getting back onto it. Uh, it's kind of one of those, like I tracked it for like two and a half months and I feel like, oh yeah, like, again, it's always that, oh yeah, this is like doing what I needed to do. And I'm like, I'm on track I'm now. I'm done now. <laughs> and then you stop using it and then everything just kind of goes to shit. Cause yep. it, it was th- like that Hawthorne effect was the thing keeping you yep. on track, you know? Uh, yeah. But as far as like desktop stuff, um, I just, I just open game maker. Just like every time I get out of my computer, I open up game maker. <laughs> Yeah, open it's studio, always actually. open in the background, uh, mm-hmm. and I just like chip away at stuff if if uh, there's some downtime or or whatever. So yep. and Discord, yep. yep. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm I always have similarly VS Code, Visual Studio Code, which is uh, has taken the world by storm for web development stuff. But it's it's a code editor, but it's it's just fucking rad. It's got so many cool tools and extensions and stuff because it's got a you know, community of public extensions you can just post that just do all kinds of just making your life easier, you know, when you're doing your work. Um, and also to the point where like some of the stuff, there's so much stuff that's helpful that often I forget, like completely forget um, what it can do. And I'll find myself after spending a long time doing some like kind of shitty drudge work, suddenly remembering, oh fuck, I didn't have to do this. Right? Like there's, <laughs> there's a thing for that. Like it's, it's almost like the app store, right? There's like, there's a, there's a extension for that. Extension right? for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so on my desktop, like that's always open, and I'm constantly just like in a pinch, playing with settings, looking for a thing, trying to like you know improve that experience. Um, but otherwise, my go-to sort of cross-platform app, which feels kind of like cheating, but it is still in the spirit of the question, is my browser. Um, mm. uh, I think you utilize your browser in a better way than most people, as we talked about. I think a I, couple episodes ago. Yeah, and even as like that's actually where I spend most of my time. It's either in VS Code or in the browser. Almost, it's almost where all my time goes. And in, in the browser context, uh, I, I, don't, I use Chrome. I don't know what stuff all the other browsers give you, but um, it does a good enough job on mobile of letting you organize tab groups. Um, mm. And then on desktop, it also does, which I've started to do more recently too, so I can keep like keep these little buckets of the stuff that I'm paying attention to. Uh, but in particular on mobile, 
it's I have these like collections of of sort of deep dive concepts that I'm like slowly chipping away at, right? So so like if there's a new tool that I hear about and I'm like, oh, I should go investigate this. I just on my phone, I just make a new tab group and start filling it with, you know, just like hold hold tap on the on each link, make a new right. So I end up with these like collections of like 30 web pages, right? In these little tab mm-hmm. groups. And that then it's when I sit down, I'm like, I flip it open just to see like, oh, what was I, what's all the stuff that I was like trying to learn more about? And I just go like pick the tab group, oh. continue the dive, you know? And, uh, and then find myself just kind of bouncing around. And I think the cool thing is that just so much of the stuff you would want to do is accessible through there. And the web as a platform has always been, I think, you know, just a very cool thing that could do so much. And there was this period though, where because of phones in particular, native apps, like stuff you get in an app store, you know, uh, had a lot more power than what a website could deliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're actually on the other side of that now. Yeah. Um, and Definitely. so, like, the world is opening back up in these really cool ways on the yeah, web. People have figured out how to make apps or make websites that are dynamic enough that they yeah. just behave like And the, a and the browsers app. have, like, added enough features that they can now do a lot more things uh, that previously you could only do if you had, like, software living on the phone, right? Uh, and so so then among that list, there's a lot of cool tools. I think the only one I'll mention, just because I was using it a bunch last night today, is uh, GitHub as a service, like their, their web tech, all the cool stuff they have, like just through their site. There's a lot, there's a lot more than you would think. Um, so there's, so two, two of the ones I'll mention and that'll be it. One is if you hit the period, like the period button on your keyboard on any code repository on GitHub, it just shows it to you in a, in an editor in VS code on an online VS code just shows you, you can now browse it as if, it's, <laughs> as if it's on your desktop. Right? And uh, you can even do that with your own code where you can just edit stuff now. Because it's it's a code editor, and you can That's save it, and it'll make yes. a commit for you, right? What? <laughs> and, and so, that's so you really, can just quickly like just fix something, yeah, just, just right fix there, something, right? right in the browser. So that's cool. And then that's that second rad. one is that they have this new experimental feature. So I, I'm signed up for all their like preview things every time new GitHub things out. I'm like I always get it on early, you know. But they have a new search tool. Uh, that's like an entirely separate website and everything for doing really comprehensive searches into all of the code on GitHub, which is a lot of code, right? And so this thing that I was struggling trying to figure out yesterday because the documentation for it was limited and I couldn't figure out how I would do what I wanted to do. I was like, wait a second, I can just go use, because now I can use the search tool to look for like files by file name that contain, that are a certain language that contain certain other things inside them. But the search tool understands Program-related concepts, and so it can. It's like it's like just a lot more intense and impressive than just a simple like find by fuzzy match word, you know, right. kind of a thing. Uh, and so suddenly, like so, this morning on my in my mobile browser, I was just digging through code that matched this search that I had to like look mm-hmm. for examples of what other people had done to try to find things out. that were closer to what I was trying to do, right? Uh, yeah, which is very cool. So that's slick. Browsers these days and websites. Very uh, cool. So cool. Very cool. So there's some there's some recommendations for you. Uh, all right, so we have a couple questions about Caracorder. Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, so one question comes from Fraser, who just says, any Caracorder updates? Another one from Chelosis, who says, please tell us about how Caracorder <laughs> is whenever it shows up. So did, did we talk about it? I thought we talked about it already. Yeah. I don't know no. if we did. Okay. I don't think we did, or at least not extensively. Uh, yeah, because it, it arrived for me over winter break. Um, so I my... 
just to quickly explain what it is, in case anybody missed the episode where we talked about it, it is a keyboard that is, instead of being made of normal buttons that you push, it is made of four directional joysticks. So you put your hands on there and each finger has a joystick under it and you can push each joystick left, right, forward, back. So instead of having to like move your finger, you know, from like the D key to the T key or, you know, whatever, um, you just wiggle that finger in two different directions. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then it has an additional layer of firmware in it that is referred to as cording software, which is, uh, which is kind of like what court stenographers use, where you can create combinations of simultaneous presses. So if I hit like B and C at the same time, then maybe that's just because. So I can spit out an entire fully formed, correctly typed word uh, with no typos in it um, just by hitting two characters instead of having to hit all the letters in sequence. So their claim then is that you know this thing will allow you to type well over 300 words per minute once you get the hang of of even even just using little joysticks and then with the cording stuff you should be able to get over like 400 words per minute so uh, I was I was using it over the break and I was practicing with it and I was I was starting to get the feel for it um, and my initial experience was just working on just learning the the letters typing with the letters um, yeah I mean because it's, it's not even it's not even moving from like a keyboard like QWERTY layout to Dvorak or something. It's like literally. It's a completely. Different, it's a completely different thing. You can't, it is, you can't, uh, you can't even it, type regularly before you start yeah, trying to yeah, chords. Yeah. So I was just practicing with it, but I I immediately ran into a bunch of problems with the user experience. One was that um, they provide a sort of like cardboard cutout thing that has information about. It's like a map of the layout. The configuration that they chose for the layout made it kind of hard to actually discern which finger was associated with which thing on the layout. But also they chose colors like putting black text against dark blue backgrounds and stuff where, where it was almost impossible to to easily grok what I was looking at without like picking up the cutout and like holding it up to my face under some light, you know? So I actually then spent a, a few hours making it in it going into Inkscape and building a new visual layout that had color-coded keys that were laid out more accurately to where my fingers were. Um, so I had to go through that process. But in the, but as I did that, I kept coming across really weird things where like the key that I would hit on the character didn't match the layout. And then I would go to the website and they would have something else on the website and that also didn't match. So they had they had made a bunch of errors in conveying what the actual like configuration was. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I tried to use their website where they have like a training thing on their website, um, that that I couldn't get it to work. Like it just wasn't recognizing my my key inputs from the care recorder. Mm-hmm. So I just kept running into just like problem after problem after problem. Um, and then the last thing was that there are several keys that just don't even exist on the character, like all of the function keys, all the F keys, um, as well as the pipe and backslash key. They just don't exist. Uh, and instead, and you can't reprogram, they, right? and you can't reprogram, you can't reassign the keys on it. And also 
they had reserved a bunch of keys for things like controlling your mouse or like left and right click because their thinking is like, oh, you will like never take your hands off of this thing. So you don't need a mouse anymore. But the mouse controls just moved incredibly slowly and were super awkward to use. So like, I'm going to use the mouse. You know, mouse controls that use a keyboard. Yeah, it was, just, it was just real bad. So they had sort of like removed a bunch of important useful keys and then added in these keys that don't work. Um, and so like my overall verdict is that is that like conceptually this thing has legs. Mm-hmm. Like that like using the little joysticks and stuff I was like damn like this I could see it. Like I could see that this thing could really be an incredible device, you know. It's just not fully um, baked yet. But yeah, it's it's still feels super super prototypey, um, and the sense that I generally get is like that the the team that's developing the thing is just stretched really thin, yeah, and mm-hmm. they're they're emphasizing too many things at once to the point where they aren't giving their full focus on quality for any one piece of the of the the pipeline, right? Because it was also the case that um, you know I ordered the thing. Never heard back, and then finally I sent them an email, and I was like, "Hey, can I? I ordered this thing yeah. a while ago, and I I haven't heard anything about shipping." Um, and they just responded like, "Oh yeah, sure, we'll like we'll get it to you within the, like the next week," and then they did. And I was thinking like, "So that's good, you know?" But what's that's but, good, but like, what's the system, you know? Uh, yeah, was yeah, I, I actually in line or? Yeah, you know, for, did my order you talk forgotten? about it? And, and so my wife also got one. Um, yeah. And hers came later because she didn't send, you know, the email being like, Hey, what's going on here? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it took a long time to get it. Um, she, and she actually may have sent an email like after Seth said that he did it. I can't remember. Yeah. But, yeah. She did. I think. Um, but she, so she did eventually get it and had basically the same kind of response, which was like, Oh, this is like the potential here is exactly what she thought it was. It's right? an incredible idea. It's very cool. But yeah, just practically speaking, uh, there's and not I, enough and I think, and I think Seth had articulated it well too to us when we were talking about it a while ago, which is that because this thing requires you to, it's a vendor lock-in situation, right? Because yeah, you can't go get another one of these from a different company. Yeah, you have so, to buy it from them. And right? a vendor lock-in, like the idea of vendor lock-in for anybody unfamiliar, is if you're using some off-the-shelf tool from a vendor, right? Um, so usually you talk about this in software, but it could be anything where that thing is solving some problem for you. Um, if it's solving that problem in a way that is not transferable. So you can't like take the data and move it to some other tool or you can't. Yeah. Whatever. If I have a problem with my current QWERTY keyboard, let's get to that QWERTY there keyboard. are a million QWERTY keyboard creators. Mm-hmm. I can just go get one from another vendor yep. and not have those problems anymore. Yep. You know? And so the, the particular problem comes when you design what you're doing around a vendor's way of managing that with the product that you're using from them, because that's what makes it so that now you're locked in because now you just can't go somewhere else. And so the problem with the Caracorder I think sort of at that level is that as a as an approach, it's too new and it's not fully baked, but also there's one vendor, literally one vendor. And so if you do go through all of the effort of retraining yourself. It would take hundreds of hours of practice to yeah. learn how to use this thing. And so now, like, what are you going to do if you end up wanting a better one? This is what I think is fascinating about the, the opportunity that you're talking about, because essentially what you're saying is, is that you, you know that it would take hundreds of hours to be able to use this thing, but you can see how useful it would be to be yeah. able to, it, in a way where you're like, that is such a good trade-off. If only you made it easy for me to fucking do it, yeah, exactly. then yeah. I would have done Yeah, because right? sometimes vendor lock-in is like the best move, actually, because somebody did something so well. That it's people getting into the the, I, the iOS yep. uh, uh, yeah. ecosystem, right? Yeah. It's like, you're just kind of stuck in there, but if you get in there at the right time and like get to use all the services that are there, blah, 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 then like, 
actually can be a good thing for you. Happily right? stuck. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I did actually send them a direct email and like I, I expressed all of this stuff exactly to them, basically saying that, um, that, you know, you, you guys are selling this key, this keyboard, um, but you also have to sell trust, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, I have to be assured as a, as a buyer of this device, I have to be assured that, uh, that you as a company have thought through every aspect of the user experience and that you are very meticulous such that you're going to be here 10 years from now. If my, if my caracorder breaks and you guys go out of business, Right, and you can't because even of, type on a regular keyboard. Yeah, like, <laughs> like if you guys if you guys go under because of various I don't know quality issues or or you can't fulfill demand or you know whatever the case may be, um, then then I can't get a replacement. Uh, or or if the fact that like even if the documentation doesn't even match what's on the device, yeah, right. Then the, and like the live documentation on the site that you can update at any time doesn't match what's what's on the device. Um, you know, if if those things are happening, then that erodes the trust that I have that like that that, that it's worth it for me to spend hundreds of hours learning to use this thing yep. and actually become an evangelist for it. You know, because I want to. Like I want to be pumped about this. Well, I think as a, as an example um, for a, another keyboard sort of thing, but a different one is there's a keyboard called the Ergodox, E-R-G-O-D-O-X. Um, and it's an open source one. So to, to this idea of like, what if I can't get a replacement? What if the company goes under whatever, right? It's open source. So like the, the full plans are out there. You can literally just like go order the parts from something like you can, you know, you, you can do the whole thing yourself. Just make your you own. <laughs> and there's a whole community of people actually, because when it first came out, it just was, it was an open source kit where you just bought the components and built it yourself. Right. Yeah. And so with the license they put on the thing, then that actually allowed people to also make it commercially. Right. And so there's, there's one company at least that does it. And so I bought one a while ago, but it's, it's also, it's one of those weird like split keyboards where the shape of it is more like your hands. So, mm-hmm. so the like the keys are arranged in a more vertical way instead of kind of in that staggered way, and they're a little bit different than what they are on, on a regular keyboard. And then your thumbs, though, have a lot more stuff they can do. So it's not like one giant ass spacebar that both of your thumbs hit. It's actually like three or four buttons um, that you can use. And then they also have this. You can remap the keys to be whatever you want, and you can mm-hmm. also have layers. So like they have the if you hold down one of the keys, you're in like a new sort a new of keyboard. keyboard. You're in a new keyboard, right? And so now when you type the same keys, different stuff happens, right? So it's a very cool design, very well thought out. And uh, I so I bought their earlier, like one of the earlier models a few years ago, and ended up basically never using it because I bought it without key uh, letters because I was like, if I'm going to remap this thing, the letters going to be wrong anyway. So like, why just get the get the jet black one, you know? But it's such a different experience that <laughs> I couldn't brutal. even use. The, I couldn't even use the regular part. Bold move, Adipo. And then, so I just never really <laughs> used it. And it was also kind of a little like clunky and chunky because it was yeah, it's made it's by some view one small shop, right? But like the still the quality, like the high, it was high quality, just kind of bulky. Um, yeah. So now now here we are. Like I don't know, it's been three years or something. Um, my wife's now bought one a couple years ago and just used the shit. Out. Like it took her a lot, like a long ramp up learning period, but she just loves it. And like it's such a good ergonomic and speed experience that like she wouldn't go back. And, and also to the point where now like the, now the slick ones are starting to come out, right? The ones that like mm-hmm. look really cool, got like RGBs, they're like streamlined kind of flat, you know, like the whole, the whole deal. And they're very expensive. 
but she was like, she was looking at that. Uh, it was just like going to be, weeks yeah, ago. it's going to be worth it. Cause now yeah, she, was, she was just like, she invested, you know? Yeah. She was like, Oh, like th- this, like this new one, it's called the Moonlander. looks so cool. And when it came in, it arrived and like the unboxing experience was great. It looked, mm-hmm. it looked beautiful. You know, like the whole, and it was, it was, it was very easy to feel like you could buy in. Right. And that you were making a good bet. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's what you got to, you got to understand what you're, what you're selling, but also what the ask is. Yeah. It's a, and well, I think is, the reality is it's a, a keyboard is actually a lifestyle product. They're like, that's totally, that's yeah. the reality. And so I think if you're approaching well, it. Well, like, for, for somebody who's going to buy a several hundred dollar keyboard. Yeah. For, yeah. For like, anyone who's going to buy For some people, yeah. they're just going to throw 10 bucks into it and buy a, you know, just like a cheap plastic one from, you know, Walmart. And like, well, yeah, the, but, buttons, but I think the buttons a, push, so it's good enough for me. Well, I think it's <laughs> a I mean, combo, this, right? Because I think you're right for like, because yeah. like, like the mechanical keyboard scene is absolutely largely like, it's like a, it's a lifestyle brand, right? Where yeah. it's like, because it feels good. There's, there's a satisfying tactile stuff. There's aesthetic stuff going on. Like, and you spend so much time with the keyboard, like that's, it's a, your that's tool. a good feeling thing, right? Yeah. But then you move in these other spaces of like the ergodoxes or the caracorders or whatever. And these, at least initially, certainly are like are just utilitarian things, right? They're tools and but and they're meant to convey like what the doing the work is like, but it's it's a thing you have to get trained on. And the this, same this way is what that, I'm saying. This is why you know? this is why I, I think that I think it's a tr- I think it's a misunderstanding once you go once you go away from a traditional keyboard yes, to yeah. think that it is a utilitarian tool because what if if it what it yes. requires is reskilling on something that you can buy something for ten dollars to just do right then you're not selling a utilitarian thing because if it was then it's just like yeah it's ten bucks let me just be able to do this it's like a plastic bag you know it's not I guess I'm not, I'm not sure what you mean by that though because if because the utility here is the it's the extra capability. Yeah, it's a new technology that allows you to do whatever the thing you're doing. Which is, you know, yes, but, it, but what I'm saying is, it, is that it, it comes acquiring that capability comes at a tremendous uh, investment cost, right? Both in terms yeah, of like but I, I don't think it's about the utilitarian part, but I, yeah, but it is. It is about uh, yeah. You have to be aware that you're not selling the you're not selling the utility directly because you can't have it until to. you invest the yes, right, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, and so I, I think if if someone has to train up in order to use your product, then I think. Taking more of that, more of a lifestyle lens to it, I think helps helps yeah, invest in that. Guide that product decision making a little bit better. Which well, well, I, I think just didn't. I think this <laughs> is this is sort of like you know people talk about the the like iPhone taking over BlackBerry. Yep. Right. And it to me this is the same concept, which is there was a long time where everybody just had flip phones, mm-hmm. and BlackBerry came along um, and took over the business scene. Mm-hmm. They didn't take over. They just took over the business scene. Business people had Blackberries uh, because Blackberry was like, it's for emails. It's real good with emails, right? Because it has a full on. keyboard, mm-hmm. right? Well, so, and, and, it, and it did look very utilitarian. Like you'd look at the thing and it's like, wow, that's a lot of buttons. And it's very, <laughs> it was like, it's like very rectangular and black. And it had like this little like ball mm-hmm. cursor knob thing on it. Um, and it looked it looked like a tool, like a, like a tool out of a workshop, you yes. know. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, it's intimidating mm-hmm. and it's not approachable. It's like we talked about this idea of like, oh, programmers are just going to use command line interfaces to make yep. stuff. It's like you're not you're only going to solve the needs of a very specific group of early adopters who are already bought in to the utility part of it. But they have to do that in spite of the presentation. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about something like then the iPhone, 
it's doing the same stuff as a BlackBerry. It's got a browser. It's got, you can, you can type on the thing. It's doing all the same stuff, but they stripped away all the parts of it that were hard to understand or intimidating, right? And they opened up this idea that, you know, they just made it far easier to develop software for it so that it could meet more needs in a more approachable way for more people, right? You just touch it with your one finger and you're good to go. Touch glass. Um, That's the only instruction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they and they also made an angle toward just the presentation of the thing where it was it was white and it was clean looking and it had like the metal like bezel around the outside and um and they kind of understood I think like it, it like the iPhone itself was a cool piece of tech right but I think the real thing that they nailed was this idea that that a new piece of technology that's supposed to deliver like a totally new experience for people is a cost yes. Like people have to learn about it and learn how to use it. And if you don't want to just sell to early adopters, then you have to absorb that cost somehow yourself as a provider of the technology. Yeah. Either through better design or training modules or yeah, some there's some way to overcome that. Yeah. And so your job then as the product designer is to remove all doubt Mm -hmm. that this was a good purchase, right? And this is why, especially in those early days, like the amount of sort of fervor that people had yeah. for iOS stuff was was just through the roof. Like people were just, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talk about this idea of like iOS fanboys, right? I think I think eventually, I've, eventually, I think people kind of settled down. Oh no, they have, oh, there are still a, yeah, there's still a lot. If you of uh, if you ever still, see a post, and I mean, it's both. It's like the Android camp has the same group, right? Oh, yeah. but, but that's what I'm saying uh, though. It's like Android didn't have that at the beginning because Android again had that very like ah, it's like. It's like iOS, but it's open and you can do it. You can customize all these ways. Sure, it's awkward as fuck and kind of hard to use, right? Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> well, and then gonna, each phone provider had a different, different situation. Operating system. Yeah, yeah. Different. yeah. And so, yeah. of course, like, of course, it's going to fall behind. But then eventually, you know, people, many of those uh, phone providers figured out how to do a better job of packaging it and making it approachable. And the Android operating system kind of evolved in that same direction, right? No, it's the same. And you see this actually the same problem with Linux as an operating system, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that it's so unapproachable. Um, yeah. Even the, even the concept of just like installing an operating system, just any any of them, is so unapproachable already because yep. nobody has to do that normally. You just buy a computer. They just has buy Walmart, the computer right? and they open it up. <laughs> and so and it's it's like because Linux's main selling point is hey, it's free. That's its selling point, right? But it's not. Free. But it's not because it costs so much. <laughs> it is a, it is the most expensive so, operating system yeah. you can get right yeah, now. Yeah, because you have to <laughs> you have to learn how to use it and you have to learn how to install it and you like run all these things right. And the, there's been a handful of times where some computer maker or you know some entity like really tried to push Linux in some way by pre-installing it and all this kind of stuff right. But they didn't do it in a in a way that like was a sales pitch because as soon as they got around like. The only pitch they had was, "Hey, it's free, right? So just it'll cost you less, and now you have it." But you, as the as the as the potential consumer, you're looking at, "Okay, well, I can spend an extra two hundred dollars to get my Windows license on this machine, right?" <laughs> or people don't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people, because laptops and whatever, like if you're buying a computer, if you're a typical computer purchaser, you don't buy a Windows license. No. Oh yeah, you no, don't, I mean, you I mean, don't you ever buy the, do that, right? You just buy the computer. Adam saying that. I mean, I mean, they list with it with like the extra cost from the license, right? So like, so right. they have like the laptop. You can choose either. So, and I actually haven't seen this. I haven't done any computer shopping lately, but 
I think when I was in college, maybe. What was that now? 10 years ago? Whenever that was. 12. They would let you choose. It was longer than 12 years? So. 14 years ago? Oh my God. I was just reflecting on how like my 20 year high school reunion is not very far away. And I was like, yeah, oh weird. my God. <laughs> 10 year college reunions. This uh, But I, I remember yeah. actually getting very excited because I, I was diving into Linux at that time. Right. But that, it's, I was, that's the kind of thing that you do when you're just like throwing time and interest at basically a hobby. Right. That's mm-hmm. like Linux is for two groups of people, like hobbyists who are into that kind of thing. And then people who need to run fuckloads of servers, right? Those are, that's like the two, Yeah, it's two hardcore camps and that's who it's for. Um, but I remember getting very excited that, cause it was like such a pain in the ass to install it and do all these things that I started to see companies being like, oh, like you can buy like the student edition that comes with Ubuntu, you know, or versus like Windows and like the Windows one that costs an extra $200 or whatever. And so then I was like, and like the whole Linux community was like simultaneously being, oh yeah, maybe like this kind of stuff will finally like bring people in. While also being like, oh, but Ubuntu is like the shitty one because there's a million kinds of Linux, right? It's like, that's the one that's like, just looks nice so that you can use it. And it's, you know, well, that, but, but yep. if you buy it as a student, like the first time you come across a professor who says, hey, I need you to submit use a PowerPoint. Word. Yep. Yeah. PowerPoint. <laughs> and you're like, oh, dang it. And then you got to use like open office and save it out into a word format and yep. hope that it works, but you can't verify it because you don't have word on your computer. Yep. Yep. You know, so you just hope for the best. Uh, yeah. So, so all you're doing when you get Linux is you're just signing up for a bunch of problems. Yeah. Everything that you do is going to be a problem now. But I think right? that's what's so funny. About I will it. say now that almost everything is in the browser. Yeah. Basically everything's in the browser. Like to, in this day and age, uh, the Except only games. reason I use windows is, is to play games. I guess is one, but I actually don't care as much about that. Yeah, because now with the streaming services and stuff, like even that's not even that's in the browser. You know, as time goes on. Right. Uh, but for making games, though, like we really got to be on a Windows platform. Yep. Um, yeah. But for for literally everything else, though, um, since it moves into the browser, like the operating system is just the thing that turns on to open the browser. You know what I mean? Like that's basically its purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I think that's where we're headed. But back in the day, you literally couldn't do anything. Yeah. Without like being basically on Windows or maybe Mac kind of, but that was also hard to do at the time. Yeah. So I guess to to wrap it up then, I think as far as Caracorder stuff goes, incredible concept. Uh, I, th- I, think, I think they can still do it, but they just, they have a lot of work to do in terms of- My guess uh, is that they cannot do it. Yeah, they need to get bought or something. I don't know if they have maybe. a patent on it or what, I don't know. So how they, they've been at it for- for quite some time, mm-hmm. uh, a, a few years, I think, and they did they did get a, a decent amount of uh, seed funding and stuff. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that if they don't if they don't bring it home, that somebody else picks up this concept and and uh, runs with it. I think one of the problems though is you know somebody would see see it and see that maybe it didn't like get traction and be like, nah, this idea is dead, right? When yeah. really I do I do genuinely think that that much like how you know the BlackBerry was only in use by business people um, at first, right? That doesn't mean that like smartphones don't have a market. It just means that somebody executed it in a particular way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's all the time we have for this week. I would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Costa for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running to get more involved in the butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.